Part Nine of Ultima Thule. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Karen Savage. Ultima Thule by Mac Reynolds. Part Nine. They spent their first day in getting accommodations in a centrally located hotel, in making arrangements through the Department of Justice for the local means of exchange—it turned out to be coinage based on gold—and getting the feel of their surroundings. Evidently Delos, the capital city of the planet New Delos, was but slowly emerging from the chaos that had taken over on the assassination. A provisional government, composed of representatives of half a dozen different organizations which had sprung up like mushrooms following the collapse of the regime, had assumed power. Elections had been promised and were to be brought off when arrangements could be made. Meanwhile, the actual government was still largely in the hands of the lower echelons of the priesthood. A nervous priesthood it was, seemingly desirous of getting out from under while the going was good, afraid of being held responsible for former excesses. Ronnie Bronston, high hopes still in his head, looked up the sub-bishop who had given them landing orders while they were still aboard the Space Force's cruiser. Tog was off making arrangements for various details involved in their being in Delos in its time of crisis. A dozen times on his way over to keep his appointment with the official, Ronnie had to step into doorways or in otherwise make himself inconspicuous. Gangs of demonstrators roamed the street, some of them drunken, looking for trouble, and scornful of police or the military. Twice, when it looked as though he might be roughed up, Ronnie drew his gun and held it in open sight, ready for use, but not threateningly. The demonstrators made off. His throat was dry by the time he reached his destination. The life of a Section G agent on interplanetary assignment had its drawbacks. The sub-bishop had formerly been in charge of interplanetary communications which involved commerce as well as intercourse with the United Planets. It must have been an ultra-responsible position only a month ago. Now his offices were all but deserted. He looked at Ronnie's badge, only vaguely interested. "'Section G of the Bureau of Investigation,' he said. "'I don't believe I am aware of your responsibilities.' However, he nodded with sour courtesy, please be seated. You must forgive my lack of ability to offer refreshment. Isn't there an old tradition about rats deserting a sinking ship? I am afraid my former assistants had rodent-like instincts." Ronnie said, "'Section G deals with interplanetary security, sir. I am addressed as Holiness,' the other said. Ronnie looked at him. "'Sorry,' he said. I am a citizen of the United Planets, not any one planet, even Earth. U.P. citizens have complete religious freedom. In my case, I am unaffiliated with any church." The sub-bishop let it pass. He said sourly, "'I am afraid that, even here on New Delos, I am seldom honored by my title any more. Go on. You say you deal with interplanetary security.' "'That's correct. In cases like this, we're interested in checking to see if there is any possibility that citizens of planets other than New Delos are involved in your internal affairs.' The other's eyes were suddenly slits. He said heavily, "'You suspect that David the One was assassinated by an alien?' Ronny had to tread carefully here. "'I make no such suggestion. I am merely here to check on the possibility. If such was the case, my duty would be to arrest the man or men.' "'If we got hold of him, you'd have small chance of asserting your authority,' the priest growled. "'What did you want to know?' I understand that no interplanetary craft have left New Delos since the assassination. None except a United Planets ship which was carefully inspected," Ronny said tightly. But what facilities do you have to check on secret spaceports, possibly located in some remote desert or mountain area? The Nodelian laughed sourly. 
There is no other planet in all the United Planets with our degree of security. We even imported the most recent developments in artificial satellites equipped with the most delicate of detection devices. I assure you, it is utterly impossible for a spacecraft to land or take off from New Delos without our knowledge." Ronnie Bronston's eyes lit with excitement. "'These security measures of yours, to what extent do you keep under observation all aliens on the planet?' The priest's chuckle had a nasty quality. "'You are quite ignorant of our institutions, evidently. Every person on New Delos, in every way of life, was under constant survey from the cradle to the grave. Aliens were highly discouraged. When they appeared on New Delos at all, they were restricted in their movements to this, our capital city." Ronnie let air whistle from his lungs. "'Then,' he said triumphantly, "'if any alien had anything to do with this, he is still on the planet. Can you get me a list of all aliens?' The other laughed again, still sourly. "'But there are none. None except you employees of United Planets. I'm afraid you're on a wild goose chase." Ronnie stared at him blankly. "'But commercial representatives, cultural exchange—' the priest said flatly. "'No. None at all. All commerce was handled through UP. We encouraged no cultural exchanges. We wished to keep our people uncorrupted. United Planets alone had the right to land on our one spaceport.' The Section G agent came to his feet. This was much simpler than he could ever have hoped for. He thanked the other, but avoided the necessity of shaking hands, and left. He found a heliocab and dialed it to the UP building, finding strange the necessity of slipping coins into the vehicle's slots until the correct amount for his destination had been deposited. Coinage was no longer in use on earth. At the UP building he retraced his steps of the day before to the single office of Section G. To his surprise, not only Moli Hassan was there, but Tog as well. Hassan had evidently had at least a few hours of sleep. He was in better shape. They exchanged the usual amenities and took their chairs again. Hassan said, "'We were just gossiping. It's been years since I've been in Greater Washington. Lee Chang tells me that Sid Jakes is now a supervisor. I worked with him for a while when I first joined Section G. How about a glass of wine?' Ronnie said, "'Look, if Tommy Paine was connected with this, and it's almost positive he was, we've got him.' The others looked at him. "'You've evidently been busy,' Tog said mildly. He turned to her. "'He's trapped, Tog. He can't get off the planet.' Moli Hassan rubbed a hand through his hair. "'It'd be hard, all right. They've got the people under rain here such as you've never seen before. Or they did until this blew up.' Ronnie sketched the situation to Tog, winding up with, "'The only thing that makes sense is that it's a Tommy Paine job. The local citizens would never have been able to get their hands on such a bomb, or been able to have made the arrangements for its delivery. They're under too much surveillance." Tog said thoughtfully, "'But how did he escape all this surveillance?' "'Don't you understand? He's working here, in this building, as an employee of UP. There's no other alternative.' They stared at him. "'I think perhaps you're right,' Tog said finally. Ronnie turned to Moli Hassan. Can you get a list of all UP employees?" Of course. He flicked his order box, sparked a command into it. Ronnie said, It's going to be a matter of eliminating the impossible. For instance, what is the earliest known case of Tommy Paine's activity? Tog thought back. So far as we know definitely, about twenty-two years ago. Fine, Ronnie said, increasingly excited. That will eliminate all persons less than, say, forty years of age. 
We can assume he was at least twenty when he began. Hassan said, Can we eliminate all women employees? Ronnie said, I'd think so. The few times he's been seen, all reports are of a man. And that case on the planet Mother where he put himself over as a holy man. He could hardly have been a woman in disguise in a Stone Age culture such as that. Hassan said, And this Tommy Paine has been flitting around this part of the galaxy for years, so anyone who has been here steadily for a period of even a couple of years or so can't be suspect. Moli Hassan thrust his hand into a delivery drawer and brought forth a handful of punched cards, possibly fifty in all. "'Surely there's more people than that working in this building,' Ronnie protested. Moli Hassan said, "'No. I've eliminated already everyone who is a citizen of New Delos. Obviously Tommy Paine is an alien. We have only forty-eight Earthlings and other United Planet citizens working here.' He carried the cards to a small collator and worked for a moment on its controls, as Tog and Ronnie watched him with mounting tension. "'Let's see,' he muttered. "'We eliminate all women, all those less than forty all who haven't done a great deal of travel, those who have been here for several years." The end of it was that they eliminated everyone employed in the U.P. building. The cards were stacked back on Moli Hassan's desk again, and the three of them sat around and looked glumly at them. Ronnie said, He stinkered with the files. He counterfeited fake papers for himself or something. Possibly he pulled his own card, and it isn't in this stack you have. Moli Hassan said, We'll double-check all the possibilities, but you're wrong. Possibly a few hundred years ago, but not today. Forgery and counterfeiting are things of the past, and believe me, the Bureau of Investigation, and especially Section G, may look on the slipshod side, but they aren't. We're not going to find anything wrong with those cards. Tommy Paine simply is not working for U.P. on New Delos. Then, Ronnie said, there's only one alternative. He's on this U.P. ship going to—what was the name of its destination? Avalon. Moli Hassan said, his face thoughtful. Tog said, "'Do you have any ideas on the men aboard?' Moli Hassan said, "'There were four crewmen and six of our agents.' Tog said, "'Unless one of them has faked papers, the six agents are eliminated. That leaves the crew members. Do you know anything about them?' Hassan shook his head. Ronnie said, "'Let's communicate with Avalon.' Tell our representatives there to be sure that none of the occupants of that ship leaves Avalon until we get there." Molly Hassan said, "'Good idea.' He turned to his screen and said into it, "'Section G, Bureau of Investigation on the planet Avalon.' In a moment the screen lit up. An elderly agent, as Section G agent seemed to go, looked up at them. Molly Hassan held his silver badge so the other could see it, and on the Avalon agent's nod said, "'I'm Hassan, from New Delos.' We've just had a crisis here, and there seems to be a chance that it's a Tommy Paine job. Agent Bronston here is on an assignment tracking him down. I'll turn it over to Bronston." The Avalon agent nodded again and looked at Ronnie. Ronnie said urgently, "'We haven't the time to give you details, but every indication is that Paine is on a U.P. spacecraft with Avalon as its destination. There are only ten men aboard, and six of them are Section G operatives.' The other pursed his lips. "'I see.' You think you have the old fox cornered, eh?" Possibly, Ronnie said. There are various ifs. Miss Tog and I can double-check here. Then as soon as we can clear exit visas, we'll make immediate way for Avalon. The Avalon Section G agent said, I haven't the authority to control the movements of other agents. They have as high rank as I have, he added expressionlessly, and probably higher than yours. Ronnie said, But the four-man crew? The other said, these men are coming to Avalon to work on a job that will take at least six months. 
We'll make a routine check, and I'll try and make sure the whole ten will still be on Avalon when and if you arrive." They had to be satisfied with that. They checked all ways from the middle, nor did it take long. There was no doubt. If this was a Tommy Paine job, and it almost surely was, then there was only one way in which he could have escaped from the planet, and that was by the single spacecraft that had left, destination Avalon. He was not on the planet, that was definite, Ronnie felt. A stranger on New Delos was as conspicuous as a walrus in a goldfish bowl. There simply were no such. They spent most of their time checking and rechecking United Planets personnel, but there was no question there, either. Moli Hassan and others of UP personnel helped cut the red tape involved in getting exit visas from New Delos. It wasn't as complicated as it might have been a week or two before. No one seemed to be so confident of his authority in the new provisional government that he dared veto a United Planets request. Moli Hassan was able to arrange for a small space yacht, slower than a military craft, but capable of getting them to Avalon in a few days' time. A one-man crew was sufficient. Ronnie, and especially Tog, could spell him on the watches. Time aboard was spent largely in studying up on Avalon, going over and over again anything known about the elusive Tommy Paine, and playing battle chess and bickering with Tog Li Chang Chu. If it hadn't been for this ability to argue against just about anything Ronnie managed to say, he could have been attracted to her to the detriment of the job. She was a good traveller. Few people are. She was an ultra-efficient assistant, she was a joy to look at, and she never intruded. But great guns the woman could bicker! The two of them were studying in the ship's luxurious lounge when Ronnie looked up and said, "'Do you have any idea why those six agents were sent to Avalon?' "'No,' she said. He indicated the booklet he was reading. "'From what I can see here, it sounds like one of the most advanced planets in the U.P. They've made some of the most useful advances in industrial techniques of the past century." "'Oh, I don't know,' Tog mused. "'I haven't much regard for industrial feudalism myself. It starts off with a bang, but tends to go sterile.' "'Industrial feudalism?' he said indignantly. "'What do you mean? The government is a constitutional monarchy, with the king merely a powerless symbol. The standard of living is high, elections are honest and democratic, they've got a three-party system, which is largely phony," Tog interrupted. You've got to do some reading between the lines, especially when the books you're reading are turned out by the industrial feudalistic publishing companies in Avalon. What's this industrial feudalism you keep talking about? Avalon has a system of free enterprise. A gobbledygook term, Tog said irritatingly. Industrial feudalism is a socio-economic system that develops when industrial wealth is concentrated into the hands of a comparatively few families. It finally gets to the point of a closed circle, all but impossible to break into. These industrial feudalistic families become so powerful that only in rare instances can anyone lift himself into their society. They dominate every field, including the so-called labor unions, which amount to one of the biggest businesses of all. With their unlimited resources, they even own every means of dispensing information. You mean, Ronnie argued, that on Avalon you can't start up a newspaper of your own and say whatever you wish? Certainly you can, theoretically, if you have the resources. Unfortunately, such enterprises become increasingly expensive to start. Or you could start a radio, TV, or Tri-D station, if you had the resources. However, even if you overcame all your handicaps and your newspaper or broadcasting station became a success, 
the industrial feudalistic families in control of Avalon's publishing and broadcasting fields have the endless resources to buy you out, or squeeze you out, by one nasty means or another." Ronnie snorted. "'Well, the people must be satisfied, or they'd vote some fundamental changes.' Tog nodded. "'They're satisfied. And no wonder. Since childhood every means of forming their opinions have been in the hands of industrial feudalistic families, including the schools. You mean the schools are private? No. They don't have to be. The government is completely dominated by the fifty or so families which, for all practical purposes, own Avalon. That includes the schools. Some of the higher institutions of learning are private, but they too are largely dependent upon grants from the families. End of part nine.